Good morning, uh, everyone. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Salam alaikum. And it's me, John Duke Anthony. Rice, what time? Le Majlis al Watanil Alakat Arab Amriki. My name is John Duke Anthony. I'm the president and chief executive officer of the National Council on US Arab Relations. <laughs> We're pleased and proud to be able to host, help coordinate, and facilitate yet another. Sterling visit of America's uh, tips of the spear with regard to trade issues, investment issues, technology cooperation, and the broader people to people bridge between the American and the Arab peoples. <clears throat> These are the unsung heroes and heroes of those who help the American economy and commerce and financial sectors be as strong as they are. <clears throat> Much in the mainstream media nowadays would have one uh, believe that this is a region reduced to two kinds of oil, turmoil, and the other kind, uh, when in fact these individuals with whom you'll be entertained in the next hour will give the lie to that false fake news stereotype. <clears throat> despite the challenges, despite the issues, Despite the problems, despite the uncertainties, <clears throat> America remains the single strongest power outside the region that is also inside the region. There's no greater power on earth that is more seized with the policy related positions, related actions, and attitude related matters pertaining to peace and security, and how those impact on stability. And now all three uh, are linked at the hip, joined like Siamese twins to the prospects for prosperity. These are the individuals who are key to that more than anyone who sits on the Western side of the Atlantic or on the far side of the Pacific. America remains strong strategically in this regard in that it is the partner of choice for all of the seven Arab countries in the Gulf, and certainly the six that line the eastern coast of Arabia, known as the members of the Gulf Cooperation Council, from Kuwait, Bahrain, Qatar, the United Arab Emirates, Oman, and Saudi Arabia. <clears throat> Economically, no country on earth comes close to what the United States remains as the planet's number one economic powerhouse. Even the runner-up, uh, China, is trillions and trillions behind the United States in this regard. <laughs> and in terms of the commercial aspects, no country has as many joint commercial ventures with the peoples of the region, which is another vote of confidence, both on the part of these Americans and the companies that they represent here in the United States, but also their partners in the region who are willing to stand up and extend a hand of trust and confidence and certainty that they have chosen the right partner. And backing all of this up, of course, is the defense dynamic and dimension uh, that the United States is the country, capital T-H-E, neon lights T-H-E, italics T-H-E, T-H-E, forward deployed force uh, of the United States Central Command. No other country could have airlifted out of Afghanistan the more than 120,000 Americans, Afghans, and other nationalities, as has occurred in the last three weeks. No other country could mobilize and project power to protect the interests of its people and the interests of its corporations and private sector, as well as the public sector's interest in national security and defense of the homeland. And politically too, though the relationship is up and down and rocky, as is the case in any marriage, and we are married to one another, this is a Catholic marriage, no divorce here, and we've been married together for more than 80 years. Not a country on the planet uh, would say no to trading places with us if that were a possibility in the offing. 
And so we see this in terms of the difference in reference and reverence uh, extended to the United States today and all of this month at the United Nations Security Council and the United Nations General Assembly, which is open for business in the United Nations headquarters in New York. So we are pleased and proud to be part of this effort to not only strengthen this bridge, but to build new ones and to dispel negative, inaccurate, unfair, misleading stereotypes. These individuals we've been working with now for three and a half decades when they come annually with their blue ribbon team of American representatives to speak uh, truth to power, to suggest new ideas and ways of doing business, to recommend uh, ways for people to know more about the opportunities that exist in this resource rich re region that drives the economy of all the economies of the world, large and small, old and new, everything in between. I would like to now have you hear from the Washington representative of the Middle East Council of Chambers of American Commerce. And that is an ex speaker, Mike Jones. Mike Jones is the representative for some years and the founding chairman of Capital Capital LLC. Mike Jones. We are to be uh, precede Mike Jones' um, remarks by remarks from H. Delanor Roosevelt, who is the chairman of the U.S. Saudi Business Council. He's uh, delivering his remarks from a remote location, not for security reasons, but because of the technology and the virtuality <coughs> of the reality in which we live. Uh, Del Roosevelt is the grandson of arguably the most famous renowned president of the United States in their 20th century. He's also <laughs> the son of his father, who was a diplomat as our American ambassador to Luxembourg. And he attended international schooling in Switzerland. Upon return to the United States, Mr. Roosevelt became an elected member of his home constituency, Long Beach, California, which was seized with the issues of the day pertaining to the environment and modernization and development of an economy in a state that has the fifth largest economy in the world. So he was front and center and part and parcel of that. He's also a former chairman of the Middle East Council of Chambers of Commerce, American Chambers of Commerce. Please welcome Delano Roosevelt. Well, good morning, my friends. My name is uh, Delano Roosevelt. I'm the president and CEO of the U.S. Saudi Business Council located uh, here in Washington, D.C. Uh, before uh, we get into it, I'd like to take a quick uh, moment to thank my dear friend, my mentor, my amo, my, <laughs> my guide in life, uh, Dr. John Duke Anthony, for making the National Council uh, for U.S.-Arab Relations uh, a vehicle for this to happen today. Um, and I, I don't need to go into anything further about Dr. John Duke because you all know him and, uh, and to know him is to love him. So thank you, Dr. John Duke. We appreciate uh, your graciousness in opening up your home today for, to make this happen. I'd also like to welcome all of my friends um, from MECAC, uh, the Middle East Council Chamber, U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I was when I was living in um, the kingdom from 2005 to 2019. I was involved with MECAC uh, simply because it is a necessary organization. Uh, why is it a necessary organization? simply because there is no other venue for um, 
the House and the Senate and everybody on various foreign committees on the Hill in Washington, D.C. to get a true and clear perspective of what's happening on the ground in real time from a perspective of people who are business people in the region, uh, in the GCC. You come to Washington, D.C. with, with uh, necessary and important messages, and uh, you're coming from a perspective of no other agenda except for that of U.S. businesses and U.S. citizens living, working, and playing uh, in the region. Uh, it's very important. Uh, and the reason it's important is for us as a uh, U.S. community to maintain uh, competitiveness uh, in the region itself. Um, at the U.S.-Saudi Business Council, we have been around for 27 years. For those of you who might not know, it started out as an organization that was created by the U.S. Treasury and the Ministry of Finance to create, to further create and build bridges of friendship, I should say, uh, person to person and business to business. Uh, over the years, uh, it has grown, and um, since I have come on board, uh, which was only in December of 2019, the, there is a new direction that the Business Council uh, is taking. We are transitioning uh, uh, to an organization, and I should actually say we have transitioned through, through this period of a global nightmare of the COVID-19 uh, and have been forced to transition and pivot uh, into an organization that is specifically concentrating on business development. Yes, we still do delegations. Yes, we still do business roundtables and, and uh, events that allow people to do networking. But my focus and concentration and mission here at the U.S.-Saudi Business Council is to create specific, to uh, create and identify and then create specific uh, opportunities for international cross-border transactions between U.S. companies and Saudi companies, because we are the U.S.-Saudi Business Council. However, those always seem to transition into GCC-wide opportunities, because as we all know, most business in Saudi, most of the uh, trading families are doing business throughout the entire GC, GCC. Uh, that said, let me just touch very quickly on the state of business uh, uh, between these two great nations. Uh, what I can say short and to the point is Saudi Arabia is open for business. Uh, if you have proof of vaccination, if you have, you know, uh, or can, you know, proof of vaccination, I believe it is specifically, uh, it's open for business. Uh, you can fly in, fly out. And, uh, and as a result of that, and also the, the continuing uh, opening, reopening of the United States, as vaccinations are increasing, and um, uh, the opportunities are rising. We're finding that, first of all, let's look at it from the Saudi perspective to the U.S. We're getting calls every other week, at least, from various ministries, from business trading families, from organizations like SWIC, Saudi Water, SEC, STC, um, looking for opportunities. Um, uh, the Ministry of Industry, Minerals and Mining. Uh, we just had a, a wonderful uh, week-long event in the state of Nevada in Colorado, which resulted in a number of U.S. companies uh, to, to allow them to be exposed to all sorts of opportunities in the burgeoning uh, mining industry that is now actually technically reopening in Saudi Arabia, but it's opening. Um, 
And we're finding that from my perspective, when I speak with American companies, the level of interest in identifying opportunities for American companies to grow, expand, export, increase exports if they're not already exporting, but mainly to explore opportunities to manufacture or provide final assembly plants in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, the, that level of interest is very high because it's not only uh, manufacturing products that can be utilized in kingdom, but also the opportunity to export to the entire region. And when I say region, yes, the GCC, but of course, the MENA region, basically everything, you know, Middle East and North Africa. So we're talking Morocco to India and South uh, into South Africa. So the, the opportunity, the opportunities are there. The effort now is being focused and concentrated from our perspective, not in a shotgun approach, but in a rifle shot approach uh, to identify specific opportunities. And we're working uh, very diligently on behalf of a number of Saudi organizations with specific requests uh, for Saudi exports in mining, in water, in electricity, in AI, in um, uh, cybersecurity, as it may apply to all industry segments, um, you know, defense, medical, education, you name it, uh, they're looking for these opportunities to grow with American companies. So to uh, any of you that are watching today, I would say that, that uh, we're here for you to explore and try to identify opportunities. And our simple mission here is to help you find those opportunities uh, that not only find the opportunities, but first we'll do our homework together and we'll do, we'll provide our own in-house uh, research and market, market research to look and see how many other people are doing what you do in the kingdom. Are there a lot? Uh, do they have a presence there or are they importing those products? And if they're importing those products, there's your opportunity. Because if you get over there and plant your flag and put boots on the ground and start manufacturing uh, your products there, where a lot of these uh, resources for your products can be purchased in kingdom, uh, you know you're going to be undercutting the market by 20, 25% easily. And you take the market because you are there and the other and the competitor is not. So our job is to help you figure out that roadmap, which can be quite intricate and tricky at times and help you deal with any hurdles in providing you from beginning to end. Uh, uh, we're with you throughout the entire process of looking to get a business license, a, a corporate registration, visas, igamas, uh, do you need a partner over there? Do you not need a partner? If you do need a partner, which partner could it be? Uh, should it be? Because there are a number of wonderful uh, trading families to work with, but there are some that would be more uh, uh, appropriate to your specific product line. So we help you make all those, we help you make those identifications and those introductions. Um, and we look forward to to, uh, to exploring these opportunities with you in the future. Um, uh, we're, our, our website's very simple. It's ussaudi.org. That's it. And so I look forward to meeting new friends and talking to old friends from the GCC. And if there's anything that we can do to help uh, identify opportunities, we stand ready. Um, and I wish you all the best of luck uh, on your door knock. I hope you all have good meetings. And um, uh, this is a, a good time of year to talk to people because you can go into their offices and say and identify opportunities for their specific state corporate constituents to expand and increase their opportunity for exports. And that's always a good thing to say when someone's running for re-election. So 
anyway, I wish you all the best. I wish I could be with you. I very much enjoyed these the door knocks uh, in the past, and uh, I send you uh, uh, all my support and warmest regards. Thank you so much. God bless. who's already uh, been introduced. Please proceed, sir. Thank you very much, Dr. Anthony. We're here in your beautiful offices in downtown Washington, and our folks have come from all over the Arabian Peninsula to come here to Washington, D.C. to send a message about U.S. exports and job creation right here at home. I'm sitting here with the chairman of the Middle East Council of American Chambers of Commerce, Chris Johnson, and the vice chairman of the uh, council, Rob Hager. Thank you both for being here. We greatly appreciate it. We're gonna be traversing the hill over the next few days into the Senate, into the house offices and bringing the message about Americans abroad equals exports equals jobs at home and uh, attempting to highlight some of the opportunities that exist in the GCC for US exporters. With that, I'll be your host. I'm Mike Jones. I'm the Washington representative for the Middle East Council of American Chambers of Commerce. I have the pleasure of, uh, first of all, thanking Dr. Anthony, Pat Mancino, Roland Robinson, all of the good folks here at the council for letting us use their facilities during this uh, series of events. Your conference rooms are greatly appreciated and you're giving us a bit of a home right here in downtown DC. So our chairman, uh, Chris Johnson, is a man I've known for about 20 years now. And uh, I've been working for the uh, Middle East Council for about 20 years now. So I don't wanna show my age, but Chris uh, is the expert on all things Saudi and our fearless leader of our groups across the GCC. So with that, I welcome Chris Johnson, Chairman of the Middle East Council of American Chambers of Commerce. Chris. Thank you, Mike, for a very generous introduction. Thank you, Dr. Anderson. Thank you, Dale, for your great presentations. Um, hard for me to match the eloquence or the substantive uh, acuity of uh, Dr. Anthony, but I, as Chairman of MECAC, a great honor, I do want to pro provide an overview of what our message is, what our analysis is of the region, and why it's important for the U.S not to squander, but to nurture and advance a 80-year-old relationship with a region that's critical not only to our own interests, but to global peace and prosperity. Um, and um, uh, why we're at a pivotal moment uh, when there's a lot of risk of slippage and backsliding. And it's critical in our minds, not only for the American economy, but also for our ambitions to maintain the post-war liberal trading system and the peace and the tranquility that we enjoy that uh, translates into prosperity and avoids the kinds of conflicts that we've had in the turmoil that Dr. Anthony refers to. Um, and we are at a pivotal moment. We're celebrating, if that's the right word, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Um, we're also um, reeling from the shock of the collapse, sudden of Afghanistan to the Taliban. And um, so I think it's a very appropriate teachable moment to share some of our observations on lessons learned from this traumatic uh, period in the Middle East um, in which we've had a not so cold war. And uh, I wouldn't call it a war on terror, which is the way it was originally characterized. It's more a war on, um, on sectarian tribalism and uh, triumphalism. And, um, so we have the Taliban and ISIS and Al Qaeda representing a rejectionism towards the post-war settlement. And we have the GCC, notably Saudi Arabia and the UAE and Qatar and uh, really unanimously um, putting their support in favor of cooperation and convergence. And so, um, and so um, you know, our message is that this is a relationship uh, deserving of uh, encouragement. That uh, it's very dismaying for us to see that to some degree, the relationship has become a, a football of, of partisanship. And uh, this has not been the tradition. Our uh, strength in the world has been in uh, leaving politics at the border and coming together when it comes to international affairs. And I think this is particularly urgent in the context of the Middle East. Um, so we have um, a Taliban and a uh, Iran that are diverging from uh, the goals and the values that we espouse. And we have Saudi Arabia and the UAE and Qatar and the other countries of the Gulf 
that are converging uh, in very impressive ways. And uh, you, you look at the press uh, here in the US and it's a negativity bias and they do pick on things that are different and maybe fall short of American standards and human rights. And uh, you know we don't disagree with this, but we think that the balance is very different. We have a positivity balance that the good outweighs the bad, um, you know, uh, given this convergence and um, you know, given the very impressive advances that you see in so many areas, in the social area, uh, for women's rights and um, for human rights. Saudi Arabia is a member of the Convention on Human Rights and they're implementing many changes uh, that are um, more encouraging. Uh, just in the past five years, uh, living in Riyadh, um, you know, women are in the workplace, they're in the malls, they're not required to wear the abaya, they're driving. It's, you know, uh, enormous progress. So the right point of comparison for a country like Saudi Arabia or Doha is not the U.S. because inevitably there are going to be some differences. And thank God we wouldn't want a world to be completely harmonized um, and, and uniform. But the correct comparison is what's happening with the Taliban in Afghanistan. That's the real um, uh, measuring stick by which Saudi Arabia and the Gulf look very positive. This is a reality that we need to embrace. So taking some of the major areas of uh, reform, you know, not only the social that I mentioned just a moment ago, but economic. You see um, in Saudi Arabia, which I represent as a member of AmCham Saudi, um, you know, we have the Jiga projects that are trying to leapfrog into the 21st century with technology and with uh, new legal systems and um, huge investments, $500 billion NEOM project, big tourism initiative, um, a restoration of old Daria and Riyadh, Green Riyadh Initiative. It's a parade of superlatives. And all of these projects rely primarily on Western, preferentially American uh, support. So we're seeing a huge inflow of business and rightly so. You know, who wouldn't want to come in and be a part of building a whole new uh, economy and culture in a country that has the means and has the commitment and has the leadership that's uh, obviously determined. They've been at it for five years and there's no let up. It's still just as aggressive in a positive direction as ever. Uh, politically, uh, Saudi Arabia has played an extremely positive role. They're now a member of the G20 and they did a great job of leading it in the last round. And uh, they're very eager to advance in uh, ease of doing business. Uh, and um, uh, there are some uh, um, uh, residual um, uh, uh, difficulties in the tax area, in the, um, in the regulatory area. They're new at this. You know, look at, uh, you know, China has uh, taken some time to understand what intellectual property is and what competition law is. Saudi Arabia is going through the same learning curve, but the overall progress is impressive. You know, in uh, intellectual property, there is a, um, a, a commission that is taking some strong action to protect patents and copyright and so forth. Um, and um, so there's a big drive to, uh, to uh, assume a pivotal role in the global economy and logistics to build. We're expecting a new airline to be launched. We're expecting a NEOM to become an offshore center that will be competitive with Dubai. Um, so, you know, you look um, at 1990 as the launching pad for the modern Dubai of today that is on a par with Singapore and Hong Kong as an offshore center. Well, you know, I think the ground zero for Saudi Arabia was 2015, and you're going to see similar, very impressive progress. Um, and um, so the big picture from my perspective is the same as Dell's, that we're on the verge of a real um, uh, land rush uh, or gold rush, and we're going to see, I'm seeing in my law practice, uh, an enormous surge of interest and activity. Um, and um, I think change is now the norm, you know, unlike in Afghanistan and uh, Iran, where the effort is to get more faithfully back to the year 600 in Saudi Arabia, the uh, desires to identify ever new challenges to move forward positively into the 21st century. Um, so I, I think I've taken my time, but uh, I'll just summarize my takeaways that the time is now for U.S. business to be getting in on the ground floor of what promises to be a continuing vital and very exciting time in the region. Um, and you'll be playing a very important role um, in, um, you know, as a policy tool, uh, you, you look at, uh, you know, uh, we've emphasized the military, we've certainly dominated in the cultural, so the sharp and the sweet 
have their limitations and the sticky uh, tool, which is commercial relationship and interaction at the level of person to person that Rob and I and the others around this table here represent, um, that's the one that really makes a difference in terms of the thoughts and minds of the, uh, of the population. And you do have a region that's so enthusiastic about the United States that they send 80,000 students to come study in our country from Saudi Arabia alone and corresponding amounts from uh, numbers from the other countries. Uh, and these people come back with a real um, bicultural uh, understanding of the merits of the American economic and cultural and social system. So this is something um, to be uh, uh, appreciated and nurtured, not to be uh, discredited and discarded. Um, and so, um, you know, I think there's a compelling uh, sentiment throughout the region of the advantages of globalization, of the benefits they've enjoyed from selling their oil and their energy for many years, and now expanding that into many new um, areas, uh, including mining, as uh, Bill was saying. Um, and, um, you know, the U.S. government should get back behind this relationship. There's been some ambivalence because of the, the partisanship that we've seen, but, um, uh, you know, from talking to Assistant Secretary Benayman, State Department, the underlying policy uh, is one of commitment to continue the partnership. So this is what we want to nurture and uh, promote on Capitol Hill in our meetings in the coming days. And uh, you know, we look forward to, to doing that. And uh, I thank you all for the chance to share some of my thoughts. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. So now I get to introduce another powerhouse attorney from the GCC, Rob Haggard. He's our vice chairman for the Middle East Council of American Chambers of Commerce, but he's also from Qatar and has been our uh, AmpCham chairman there for quite a while. I would be remiss, Rob, if I did not mention a driving force behind your chapter, and that's Lisa Saad, your executive director. She does a phenomenal job. And you're lucky to have her. So uh, with that, uh, Rob and I have known each other for quite a while. I appreciate our friendship, Rob. And I'm going to turn the floor over to you to talk a little bit about the region in general and Qatar in specific terms. Well, Mike, <laughs> thank you very much. And Lisa is here. You can't see her on the screen. Lisa, thank you. We know that we can't do any of this without you. <laughs> and uh, she keeps everything going, uh, including during COVID, the amount of events we've had. Uh, it's phenomenal. And she's a powerhouse hill here in D.C. And we, uh, we look forward to, to doing good things on the Hill in the next couple of days. So thank you, Mike. Uh, thank you, everybody. Um, I'd like to build a little bit upon what Chris was talking about in general about the region. Um, there is a fear right now, and it, it is palpable about what is America's commitment because of the evacuation that happened in Afghanistan. And it's one of the things that is so critical to business in the region is this sort of security umbrella that we've lived under for so many years that allows U.S. business to thrive. And we've had this, you know, because of the U.S. commitment in the region. There is one of the largest bases uh, in the region in Qatar, in Abu Dhabi, uh, which has been uh, at the forefront of many of our operations in the Middle East, it was key in our you know, evacuation and recovery of Americans <clears throat> from Afghanistan. And, but our Qatari friends ask us, what is America's commitment? Because we, and, and that's one thing we need to get clear with our policy friends on the Hill, is that America does need to stay committed to the region, uh, not just for world stability, but also for our economy. The, these Gulf countries are significant large trading partners of the United States. And one of the things that we, when we educate people on the Hill, uh, these are not competitors economically of the United States. These, all of these countries that we're talking about are importers, net importers of US goods and services. And we have trade surpluses with these countries and, and they love American products. They love American service, service and they like to see American citizens. And, one of the things I've noticed through the years is we've had a bit of a drop in, in the amount of U.S. blue passport holders who are not in military uniform uh, in the region. And that's sort of the, the, the concern that we always have. We have this great umbrella of U.S. security, uh, but very little U.S. business on the ground. 
um, and there should be more. And I think there's much more opportunities for this. Um, in Qatar, we have wonderful, great opportunities for US business. The World Cup is coming very soon, 2022. And you know, for all our soccer fans, or as we say, football, when we, we talk in Doha, it's going to be a wonderful event. And underpinning it has been some very strong US companies who help, are helping deliver the, uh, the games or helping build the stadiums. Uh, but again, there is a lot of competition we face as American companies with uh, companies from Australia, from Canada, UK and France. And that competition is real. And that competition, uh, we have a bit of a disadvantage because it's still hard to bring US citizens and US blue passport holders there because of the tax uh, impediments we face about US local taxation of expatriates. Um, in Qatar, as in the other states, the U a US, uh, US person is about a third uh, more expensive than uh, hiring someone from France or the UK. And that's something our, we every year we have tried to address with Congress, but it's an important thing. And that's one thing we're gonna address in our visit today. Now, briefly on, on Qatar, um, we had a tremendous growth in the economy uh, over the years. Uh, when I started uh, going to Doha in 2005, population was 500,000. Uh, now there's nearly uh, 4 million, uh, 3 million people in the country. Uh, and it continues to grow as and now is in the top 10 of per capita uh, uh, GDP, which is, which is incredible. And it's incredible progress. And they're doing several things to encourage uh, business, in particular US business. Uh, they're establishing free zones now in Doha, where you can come in as a 100% foreign owner. And all this is, is very uh, encouraging and, and it's something that we we support at the chamber. Uh, the other thing that's, that's happening here, and Chris touched upon it about education. Uh, Qatar is host for, for six US universities. And these are full universities. These are not just one program or two programs. We have a Northwestern University, Georgetown University, Texas A&M, uh, Carnegie Mellon is there, Cornell Weill is there, and, and Virginia Commonwealth and Georgetown are there. So it's, it's a very vibrant education community, which is really providing a lot of, of good interaction from the younger generation to American uh, education, American educational uh, system and values, and then also interaction between at, at that level. So we're very encouraged to see that. Um, we're also been very encouraged that the, the rift has healed between the Gulf countries, which has come at a very critical time, given the whole strategic situation now, and uh, and uh, and that I think is going to improve uh, the economies of all the players in the region, and so that's very encouraging. Um, so again, we're very happy uh, to be here uh, as always, Mike. You're a great host, Dr. Anthony. You're a, you're a tremendous host, and uh, we'd love to see you in person, uh, perhaps our next visit. And, uh, and Chris, again, for your leadership, uh, thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Rob. Um, next, uh, we have uh, Steve Lutz from the United States Chamber of Commerce. Steve, uh, our regional organization has, uh, has a long history of cooperation with the United States Chamber. And Steve, your work there has been very helpful to us. You've been kind in accommodating our groups when we've been in town year after year after year, briefing us, keeping us informed. The chamber does tremendous work and we couldn't appreciate the relationship that we have more. And with that, I uh, will turn you over to a great representative of the United States Chamber of Commerce. That's Mr. Steve Lutz from the Middle East Africa Division. Steve. Well, Mike, uh, thank you so much. And it's always a pleasure to be with you all. Um, so many, so many wonderful comments that I'd want to associate myself with. And uh, I have to say, you know, thanks to the, the MECAC leadership and team and, and all of our AmCHAMs who are, are participating in the door knock. And we certainly wish you well as you go about your business of engaging the Hill and, and the administration. And a, a special thanks to Dr. Anthony and Patrick, I see from the council, you know, for hosting this and coordinating this. It's always wonderful to hear your words of wisdom and 
And I always feel like I learned something when I come away from these things, uh, Dr. Anthony. So thank you for that. Um, I, I would just say one of the things, first off, I'd like to say is uh, regardless, I think, of the political relationships between Washington and the region, uh, one thing that at the chamber we always like to stress is that the economic relationship remains one of the strong pillars. It's an anchor. Uh, so political realities ebb and flow. Uh, we have good times, bad times, but I think the region and the U.S. business community, you know, counts ourselves as a stabilizing force and as really, again, an anchor along with the defense security relationship. And we continue to see that uh, going forward, regardless of where, you know, the political dynamic goes. Um, I would just want to highlight perhaps um, uh, three trends and then turn uh, briefly to a, a new face from our team, uh, my colleague Sarah Carley, uh, Director for Middle East. Um, I, I would just, you know, again, there were so many important things that were highlighted in areas of focus. And at the chamber, you know, we remain robustly engaged kind of across the GCC, across the Middle East uh, on that policy regulatory environment in three big areas that we're tracking and working and focusing on. Um, and these are oftentimes trends that were even pre-COVID, but have certainly accelerated, I would say, with the emergence of COVID. And one uh, certainly is to focus on uh, public health. And that, uh, you know, really when Saudi hosted the G20, uh, there was a big focus on value-based healthcare. Uh, it's an area where obviously we've seen through COVID, uh, the global leadership that the United States brings to the table. And for us, I think the conversation is about getting governments in the region to uh, think about bringing value-based healthcare, you know, and, and kind of owning that and bringing that to the systems and also pivoting more toward uh, a focus on investing in research and clinical trials and human capital um, and less on the bricks and mortar and the manufacturing facilities because that's you know, the bang for the buck and the value add is. So that's one area. And of course, intellectual property is fundamental to that. Uh, so having those robust IP regimes is absolutely critical. Uh, the next area, um, of course, we look to build on the relationships that we've seen over time in the, in the energy sector and defense and security and finance. And obviously climate change and the energy transition is a huge opportunity, I think, for companies. And that energy transition, I think it's very important to focus on the role that like LNG plays. Uh, you know, you can't go from uh, A to Z, you know, there's an alphabet in between and we need to recognize uh, that yes, there's a, there's a role for the renewable solar, wind and hydrogen, important roles, um, but we have to get from A to Z in the end objective. So having uh, industry put a good foot forward and be very engaged on what that energy transition looks like is very important. Of course, there's gains to be made in decarbonizing oil. Um, there's sustainable practices in buildings and construction, uh, water use, uh, lots of areas for companies. And again, engaging governments and putting um, U.S. industry at the forefront of these discussions, I think, is very important. Uh, the, the third area I would mention uh, as a part of this kind of economic transformation across uh, the Middle East, but really around the globe, uh, is the digital economy. And again, I think there's a huge work, there's huge work to be done in the policy space, uh, coming up with the right data policy, privacy regulations, uh, regulating cyber. Uh, all of these things are incredibly important, not only to the Googles and Amazons, uh, but every company, because every company at the end of the day at this point is a data company. And if you don't have uh, the proper cross-border data flows, uh, you're essentially shutting off markets and it really is a turnoff to the investment that we wanna help proliferate in the region uh, by US companies. And I'd also mention another important area on that, a nuanced area is the digital assets, um, cryptocurrency, but it's a broader range than the crypto um, because that has a, the potential you know, to have kind of the long-term, I think, impact uh, that we've seen with the internet. Um, so. Again, getting the regulatory landscape right, I think is very important. And I'd also say that applies to at home here in the United States as uh, Treasury and the Fed have been uh, leery or however we wanna put it, uh, slow to engage on that. So I think that's another area that the chamber will only continue to build up and engage. Uh, thanks again, but I do wanna turn, as I mentioned uh, to uh, my colleague, uh, Sarah Carley to uh, add a few other comments, Sarah. Thanks, Steve, and good morning, everyone. Good afternoon to everyone who's in the region. Um, really happy to be here today, and I'd like to echo Steve's thanks to everyone who helped put this together, and uh, thank you for the invitation. On top of Steve's comments on the active agenda that we have going on in the region, I also wanted to mention our women's economic empowerment in the GCC working group, which uh, we launched earlier this year. 
We have heard um, a little earlier in this program, women's empowerment mentioned how we're seeing more women in the workforce uh, throughout the region. And this has been part of the momentum um, that's really been driving this initiative. And it aims to promote, you know, staying with uh, the chamber's ideals, promote policies that prioritize women's inclusion in GCC economies and in the workforce, but also identify the key barriers to policy um, that inhibit female employment within the GCC. So it focuses on the ways uh, women's access to financial and economic opportunities help build economies more broadly and how changing that societal uh, norms and ideals and government regulations to encourage women to enter the workforce, how that will help countries within the GCC to achieve their broader growth ambitions. So um, our member companies and U.S. companies are playing a very important role in this development and facilitating new opportunities for women. And this working group will not only, as I mentioned, address the policy aspects, but also highlight the ways that our companies are working to employ, train, and empower women in the GCC. So we're also using the input um, from the companies as well as information that we collect on these discussions um, to help create a white paper that will address these key policy barriers and further gender inclusion within the workplace. Um, and then I also wanted to note very quickly, um, we do have a relatively new uh, council within the chamber. Um, we are home to the U.S. Kuwait Business Council, which launched in the fall of 2019, shortly before I came on board. And since then, the council has, um, has grown and we're continuing to engage directly with the Kuwaiti government officials on a variety of key policy issues, specifically the ones that Steve was mentioning earlier, digital, sustainability, um, and of course, healthcare, as it's been a huge priority this year. Many of those conversations are still very active and I anticipate that they will continue in the, the upcoming years. So that's a, a great thing. And each year, I also wanted to mention the council does host the US Kuwait Economic Forum on the sidelines of the strategic dialogue. So in past years, we've had speakers from the US Department of Treasury, Department of State and Commerce, um, as well as from the Kuwaiti side, officials from uh, KIA, Citra, uh, KPC, the Ministry of Finance, just to name a few. So we're eager to get back out to the region, start traveling again and have these meetings in person um, and work with our partners in Kuwait as well as in the region more broadly as soon as the pandemic uh, permits us to. So thank you again for having me. Um, I'll turn it back to Mike. Um, thanks. Thank you again to our uh our good friends over at the United States Chamber of Commerce, great partners to work with. We've heard from Chris and a little bit about Saudi Arabia and the business climate there. And we've heard from Rob and a little bit about what's going on in Qatar. But we have groups all across the GCC and some of them are right here with us today. So I'd uh, next uh, like to introduce Abu Dhabi's executive director, Liz Bineski. She's been a dream to work with. She keeps us organized out there. And Liz, uh, what's going on in Abu Dhabi? Take it away. Good evening from the capital of the United Arab Emirates, Abu Dhabi. So we are 400 members strong and our mission is to promote commerce, investment and goodwill between our members, the United States and the United Arab Emirates. Of our 400 members, 92% are American companies and American citizens. So we are here being our best of the best. We have three major sectors doing exceedingly well despite COVID here. We have our, of course, abundant healthcare sector. We have defense and aerospace sector. And of course, it would be energy, oil, and gas. Something interesting about those sectors, if I may indulge, a little braggadocio about our members. In the defense and aerospace sector, for example, right here in the United Arab Emirates, every $1 billion that is invested in the aerospace industry resonates back home with 5,200 US jobs. Did you know that the United Arab Emirates was a positive trade partner to the United States at the tune of $17.8 billion in 2020, the fourth largest global positive trade partner. 
And of that 17.8 billion, 15 billion of that was from exporting, which equals 88,000 jobs back home in the United States. This is a small country of small, of seven integrated states. Abu Dhabi is the capital. Dubai is probably the, our more famous and glitzy glam cousin. And I'm sure you've heard about the upcoming World Expo at Dubai 2020. We now call it Dubai Expo, launching on October 1st. The generous United Arab Emirates government has provided us with an outstanding premier U.S. pavilion where thousands of people daily will be going through to see United States ideas, collaborations, partnerships in energy and natural beauty. Its outstanding features include a SpaceX rocket, an outstanding um, display, I don't even know how to explain it, about space, the Mars rover, and very nice about our natural beauty, including our US parks. A couple other things maybe people don't know. The United Arab Emirates was easily or uh, was smart to pivot quickly away from the non-oil sector businesses before COVID. And by me, you don't know that 66% of our industries are non-oil sectors. Therefore, we are very diversified. And in 2021, there is now an opportunity for 100% foreign ownership right here in the UAE, opening up the door for American companies to do business here. Some companies that are very successful here already are Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, Cleveland Clinic, Abu Dhabi, Google, Amazon Web Services, and many, many more. I think our most important sector to talk about is the space partnership and the Space Act between NASA and the UAE has already, read to, already led to the exciting Emirates Mars mission, Hope to Mars, and they are now actively collaborating in all American leading space technologies, including education, bringing STEM and American leadership to the education of the United Arab Emirates youth population. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the energy sector. The energy sector is of course, still very important here and this company's working to this country's working towards a non-oil sector diversified economy they are now embracing green hydrogen blue hydrogen and a complete ecosystem of sustainability led by american companies such as baker hughes ge exxon mobil and in fact exxon mobil is enhancing technology r d right now for energy solutions from lab to field and scaling it entirely and that's all American know-how from Houston, Texas. So I just wanna end this conversation by saying, please come to Dubai between October 1st and March 31st, because no other country in the world has a motto that the impossible is possible and they've done it. We're open for business. We're open for foreign investment. The United States of America is a very important partner of the UAE come to the expo and see the impossible made possible. Thank you. Thank you so much, Liz. Um, I, uh, and I thank you for representing the United Arab Emirates in this forum here today. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Karen Nazari right next door in Dubai, uh, who has been doing an excellent job running the chapter there. So. Uh, thank you again, Liz, uh, and, uh, and thank Kara when you see her. Uh, I'm going to move on a little bit up to Bahrain, where Mary McGinnis, our executive director there, running the AmCham, who does a fabulous job just back from vacation. Mary, uh, what's going on in Bahrain? Hello to all from the Kingdom of Bahrain, the Pearl of the Arabian Gulf. We're the smallest of the GCC countries, but uh, punch above our weight in uh, most areas. We, uh, Bahrain did not close for business uh, during COVID. Uh, the government was commended by the World Health Organization for its effective leadership during COVID balancing health and economy. Um, it was still uh, a challenging year for um, our members and for business in general, but there's an optimism here. Uh, there's data showing that the economy is returning to pre-COVID um, 
levels uh, were on that trajectory. We uh, have a free trade agreement, uh, US and Bahrain, which um, is among the 22 free trade agreements that Bahrain has with companies, uh, uh, countries around the world. And uh, it's certainly their flagship. Since 2006, when it took effect, uh, trade has more than tripled. Uh, it took a hit last year, but it is on the climb uh, again in 2021. We, um, so Bahrain offers basically a free trade zone. Uh, the entire country um, acts as that. Full 100% uh, uh, ownership for American companies. And um, the there's a very trained, um, prepared workforce here uh, for companies to take advantage of. And there are, uh, so Bahrain was the first uh, country to discover oil, but also the first to decide that diversification was necessary. So in the 60s, they transitioned uh, and built uh, a financial sector, which remains their largest non-oil uh, sector today. About 80% of the GDP comes from non-oil, so that makes it the most diverse economy in the, in the Gulf. The, um, we're home to the headquarters of the U.S. Fifth Fleet and the U.S. Naval Central Command with about 8,500 personnel stationed here. This presence offers many business opportunities and contributes over $1 billion to the local economy annually. Um, Amazon Web Services, AWS, recently established its first MENA region hyperscale data center in Bahrain, which has greatly accelerated cloud computing in the area. The um, AmCham itself, uh, we were established uh, with the start of the free trade agreement. We're a small organization, uh, but uh, a powerhouse in our own way. We have um, about a hundred and 75 members, 95 companies, uh, uh, representing uh, companies uh, across the spectrum. Some of our uh, more well-known uh, members would be Citibank, JP Morgan, American Express, Mondelez, West Point Home, Kimberly Clark, Mueller, FedEx, um, AWS. Uh, uh, we have a new university, the American University um, of Bahrain, uh, established last year, DePaul University, um, and many, many other uh, companies. And um, we are open for business, uh, and we want to encourage and invite um, anyone who has any interest in the Gulf that they should give Bahrain a good, hard look. And we um, welcome you to uh, approach us so that we can uh, tell you more of the good news. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Mary, very much. Uh, I remember very fondly when your group hosted an event, uh, Delano Roosevelt was a part of that when he was chairman of the Middle East Council. We had Mick Mulvaney out there when he was just yeah. Congress where he became chief of staff and uh, you showed us a heck of a time. So thank you, Mary. Uh, we're saving the best for last. Fred Schwabe is our, uh, our uh, voice in Kuwait. I've known Fred for a long, long time. He's a good friend now. Uh, we are on a time uh, crunch here, Fred, and Fred is very passionate about Kuwait, but I'd ask you to keep it down to a few minutes and you bring us on home, Fred. It is six years. Uh, lots of uh, business support and uh, business initiatives and business trade events. Uh, this 36 years organization has started with 15 hardy work and committed Americans that now it, it's become over 500 members between corporate and corporate associates. We uh, supported all uh, US business initiative over the years. We held several trade events. Kuwait have held several trade events and have attracted several US companies to be to join and establish and also start business in Kuwait. And we have also lots of success stories about supporting US businesses and services. We supported all uh, the trade events. We work with the chamber, US chamber, 
as Amcham of Kuwait, uh, Amcham Kuwait, uh, they were, were active very strongly into dealing with business and supporting businesses between the US and uh, the Gulf region. We have founded, you know, we are one of the founders of MECAC as well as USA and part of the Rebuild Iraq initiative between 2004 and 2007. So we were strong locally and regionally with developing businesses and services and we achieved a lot and our, you know, we built a good membership right now and we have a close interaction with the local economy and we are working with the local authorities and local chamber to find ways to get more U.S. businesses and trade in the in Kuwait, uh, Kuwait is a good possibility now that you can establish a company within ours as an international company with free free tax investment for ten years under the Kuwait uh, Direct Investment Promotion Authority. Plus, you can participate now as a partner with a local company or investor with the Kuwait, Kuwait Public Authority for private and public partnership and newly established organization that's working now on the solar energy project right now jointly with international and local associates. So Kuwait is a big opportunity now to attract within the vision of 2035, we have we have opportunities to have uh, people in the oil and gas. There's lots of projects in the oil and gas coming up. Green, green gas projects, new clean fuel projects. We have the new gas, new gas expansion will be attracting people to invest in the new uh, expansion of the Southern gas facilities, which is a big gas reception facility that would change the type of fueling and the type of businesses and create more venues for new refinery using clean oil. So new refineries on the way. So uh, big opportunities with the new, new business zone north of Kuwait, which is called Silk City or Al-Harir City. That will be attracting small and medium businesses. So US companies are really welcome 100% here for where they committed because a success story only American companies finish ahead of schedule. No other nation had finished ahead of schedule a project. I was with a project that you're never gonna finish on time, but US companies finished and management for six months ahead of time. So Kuwait is a good environment to, inf to invest, to join and to have and the oil and the power stations. We have a new power station established using clean fuel they're using green uh, uh, green hydrogen. They, these are things, new, uh, a new car industry zone opened in Kuwait for electric vehicles. So it's good. Kuwait will be the center for the first manufacturing and hosting of electric vehicles. So it's, this is a project that's established about two, three weeks ago. So it will be new opportunities to put and to invest. Kuwait is open investment and partnership. You can invest and have a direct local company and have opportunities and develop. So US companies, you know, they know the area very well and we are looking forward to have more delegation and to come to host an event that shows exactly these opportunities within the Kuwait, new Kuwait vision 2035. So a government has alleged about 1.2 trillion US dollars for development over the next 15 years. So opportunities to get part of it, it will be, will be uh, important for us to keep and work hard to bring those people and the Kuwait Chamber of Commerce and uh, Amcham Kuwait there's a strong partnership that we can attract these people like we did before over the years and build a good solid relationship and increase imports from the US to the, to the region and Kuwait in particular. So we are looking for a future, good future for business opportunities in Kuwait to have American companies come and do their business. And they know American companies do the best when they come, when they, when they do something. So hopefully we're looking forward 
for a bad future for Kuwait in the power section, into the health and care and infrastructure, and also in cybersecurity and telecommunication, the airport in human, the new airport in new management and facilities and management, cybersecurity, housing and infrastructure, investment. So all these and health care. Healthcare, as Steve mentioned, healthcare is a big item now for investment and partnership with U.S. companies as well. So these are so many opportunities are available, you know, and the Middle East now, solar energy now, Kuwait is working on a solar energy, the 3,500 megawatt uh, project right now. This is the first one of three ma major project on solar energy as partnership with international and local, local uh, investors. So we are looking for more opportunities that new Kuwait will offer for and through the, its Kuwait new new Kuwait vision to 2035. So I think we we should rely on all our efforts and MECAC been a leader into this and the, the, the chapters benefited a lot and we should continue the role to work as a group to increase more export from the US to the region and create more jobs and home because this is what be effective and this is more the role that American Business Council Kuwait has been a leader into this over the years and have done a great job in making businesses and much, supporting Fred. businesses. Thank you, that, Fred. Thank you very much for everything you do in Kuwait. We appreciate your leadership. We're up against a hard stop here, folks. Uh, I wanna thank the uh, National Council on U.S. Arab Relations, Dr. John Duke Anthony, a great friend of ours, all of our groups out in the GCC region who are watching and everybody else as well who's watching. So I think with this, um, thank you very much. And uh, on behalf of the Middle East Council of American Chambers of Commerce, we look to forward to seeing you out in the Gulf. Dr. Anthony, thank you very much, kind sir. Thank you, sir. A wonderful session. Lots of information, lots of insight. Improve people's knowledge, enhance people's understanding. All of us can analyze the trends and the indications better than an hour and a half ago before you shared your wisdom with us. We're grateful. Thank you.